This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Season 10 of the Art Curious Podcast is sponsored by Anchorlight. For more information about their programs and residencies, please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. All right, everyone, let's rewind just a little bit back in time. Not a few hundred years ago, not even 50 years ago, but only back about a decade. So let's go back to the year 2010, which truly does feel like a few hundred years at this point. This was an era where the iPad was brand new. Lady Gaga wore the meat dress. Those godforsaken Vera Bradley bags were everywhere. And sorry, but those were just never my bag. And hey, guess what? There was a pandemic! Do you remember the swine flu? So, 2010 was a lot. But I'm not here today just to take a trip down memory lane. I am bringing 2010 up because in that year, there was a very interesting art historical request. That year, members of Italy's National Committee for Cultural Heritage petitioned the French government to allow them access to a chapel in western France long considered the resting place of a long-dead Renaissance master. The committee asked for permission to subject the purported remains of said Renaissance master to both carbon dating and DNA profiling as well as digital anatomical reconstructions to answer a bunch of questions. Do the remains really belong to one of the most innovative and imaginative artists in history? What secrets of this artist's work would have been buried with him? And, most curiously, what did this artist really look like? It's not a question that most of us really think about too much. What a historical figure's face really looked like, specifically, but a leading group of Italian scientists and historians really wanted to get as much information as they could because they truly, fascinatingly, wanted to know what did Leonardo da Vinci really look like? And is his most iconic work of art, the Mona Lisa, actually a portrait of the artist in drag? Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. Welcome to a new season, season 10, in which we are going to dig deep on some great art historical facts and fictions. In our season opener, we're talking Leonardo, self-portraiture, self-identification, the true identity of the Mona Lisa, and is it a portrait of Leonardo himself? This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. You know that the Mona Lisa, arguably the most famous work of art in the world, is a big one for Art Curious, since Mona was the subject of our very first episode ever, 
an episode that has been a listener favorite and that inspired an even deeper dive in my recent book, also named Art Curious. But as I've discussed previously, as famous as Mona is, it's really hard to enjoy the painting itself because viewing her at the Louvre in Paris is all barriers and bulletproof glass, guards, and, when we're not in a pandemic, hordes upon hordes of visitors who are pushing and prodding to get to the front row to see as much as possible of this tiny painting. It's no surprise, then, that many questions arise about the artwork and the identity of Mona herself because you can't even get a really good look at her. And her status as the most iconic and perhaps the most instantly identifiable painting ever means that people lob extra meaning and sometimes mystery onto her. What is so great about this painting? Who is this woman? And why do we make such a big deal about her? And indeed, acquaintances have asked me about Mona Lisa often, wanting to know the real scoop about this portrait of a not-traditionally-attractive woman that almost single-handedly draws millions of visitors to the Louvre each year. Surely, these acquaintances have pressed, surely there is something going on behind this painting, something that explains why it is such a world-famous piece. And I understand why these questions bubble up. For a work to be this lauded, this iconic, it's gotta be more than a portrait of some Renaissance woman. Right? Back in the very first episode of Art Curious, I gave you the background on Leonardo himself, as well as the generally accepted theories surrounding the creation of this work. But I'm happy to give you a quick little refresher here. Most art historians believe that Leonardo da Vinci began this portrait around 1503 or 1504, but that he never officially finished it. And indeed, it appears that he had worked on it on and off for the better part of almost two decades, tweaking brushstrokes here, changing an element there. He took it with him when he moved to France under the purview of King Francis I. And it was Francis I who purchased the work from an assistant of Leonardo after the master's death in 1519. And that's why this work by an Italian artist has called France her home for nearly half a millennium as it carried on through the French monarchy, through Napoleon's reign, and into being one of the attractions at the Louvre that after the royal palace was officially converted into a museum, has only grown in popularity with time. One of the reasons that Mona is such a big draw today is the acclaim that arose after her theft in 1911, which we have discussed in depth. But here's another reason why she is a big deal. Though it's probably not a reason that pops to the front of mind for the average Louvre attendee. It is a fact. There aren't actually all that many surviving paintings by Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo, that intensely curious polymath, was an inventor, a poet, astronomer, architect, engineer, proto-paleontologist, etc., etc., etc. He was a painter, too, and yet it was just one of his many talents and interests. I often like to say that the term Renaissance man, meaning someone with a broad and or intense knowledge and skill base, was basically invented to describe Leonardo. But there was a flip side to his undying curiosity. He was a procrastinator extraordinaire, putting a project like the Mona Lisa aside to work on something else, perhaps even something completely different 
like plans for diverting the Arno River in Florence or conceiving of a redesign of a cathedral in Milan. He had his hand in everything, and that's what he liked. He liked, it seems, to begin projects. But carrying them to fruition was so much harder. So it appears that he would stop working on something when a new and potentially more exciting idea arose. Spread thin, serving many different patrons, as well as his own busy mind, Leonardo was probably just slammed. He didn't have enough time to churn out an incredible number of paintings. He also worked slowly and methodically, as a perfectionist is sometimes wont to do. There's also his experimentation to consider. Leonardo merged his scientific and artistic minds frequently by trying new things, especially new materials and techniques, with occasionally disastrous results. As we discussed in our Little Curious episode dealing with his lost painting of the Battle of Anghiari in Florence. And this combination of perfectionism, experimentation, and procrastination, as well as the passage of time, means that there are less than two dozen surviving paintings by one of the most famous artists of the Renaissance. And of those two dozen, probably about half are generally accepted as being by Leonardo himself instead of a follower or an imitator. So, yeah. Any Leonardo painting is a big deal, but it would be a lie to say that any of Leonardo's paintings is potentially as big a deal as Monet is. Mona's part in Leonardo's artistic output is herself in rarefied company as one of the few surviving portraits attributed to the artist. Most of Leonardo's surviving paintings are religious in nature, which makes sense as commissions in a highly Catholic country. But Leonardo surely subsidized his livelihood with commissioned portraits, too. That's where the Mona Lisa comes in. And while other works are super widely thought to be portraits completed by Leonardo, like his gorgeous Lady with an Ermine from around 1489, and the portrait of Ginevra de Benci from about 1474 or so, those and other portraits have been a bit controversial in the past, though they are basically widely accepted as Leonardo's now. But that level of controversy has never haunted Mona. She's apparently always been a Leonardo. What's controversial about her, though, is who Mona really is. And we will get into that controversy right after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Have you ever wondered about how to get started with meditation or how about how to make your cookies even better? Or have you wanted to learn how to up your incredible oil paintings and make them even bigger and better? If you've ever wondered about, well, anything, 
It's a good time to sign up for Wondrium. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M. Incredible content with answers to millions of the whys, hows, wheres, whats, and whos, and the whens that you've ever had. I haven't been able to stop thinking about this course about the 20th century in the Middle East. It gave me a lot of amazing history and context for why this incredible region is still controversial and at the center of our world in the West today. With Wondrium, all of their videos are academically comprehensive, super relentlessly entertaining, and they are all led by engaging experts. And if you don't have the time to sit down and watch, that is okay, because the Wondrium app has a great feature that lets you listen along to the content just as if you are listening to a podcast. I know you are going to love Wondrium too, so I have arranged a special limited time offer for my listeners, a free month of unlimited access. To get this offer, sign up now through my special link, wondrium.com slash art. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash art. There's so much that you can learn for free in a month. So go to wondrium.com slash art. Like me, I know that you love to dig in and do your research. You're not afraid of homework. You have definitely fallen down some pretty deep Reddit wormholes. But if your search for the right people for your company is coming up dry, there's a resource that you haven't tapped into yet. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want with a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible. Because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire at Indeed. And Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills that you need through tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Indeed Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and that you can even invite to apply right away. With Indeed Instant Match, 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor that job post. According to Indeed data. And then candidates that you invite to apply through Instant Match are then three times more likely to apply for your job than those who only see it in the search, according to Indeed data. So get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash art. Again, that's a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash art. Indeed.com slash art. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to Art Curious. When I typically talk about the Mona Lisa, I have a pat answer about her identity. When I was a budding art historian in college and then later in grad school, I was told that we know the details of the woman that we call Mona Lisa. A real woman named Lisa Gherardini is the sitter in this picture. Gherardini was the wife of a wealthy Florentine silk merchant named Francesco del Giocondo, who purportedly commissioned the artist to paint his wife's portrait. And there's not an insubstantial amount of evidence to back this up, beginning first with the title of the painting, Mona Lisa. Mona is a contraction of the Italian word for lady or my lady, Madonna, which was then abbreviated down to Mona kind of like the way we say ma'am in English instead of the more formal-sounding madam. And, yeah, the lady's name was Lisa. My Lady Lisa. Mona Lisa. Need more convincing? If you go to the Louvre, 
you'll see her noted additionally as La Gioconde, which is the French translation of the phrase La Gioconda, or the Gioconda woman, the wife then of Francesco del Giocondo. The Louvre, by the way, totally stands by this identification, with the wall label reading Portrait of Lisa Gherardini, wife of Francesco del Giocondo, called La Gioconde or Mona Lisa. We actually know a little bit about the potential commissioning of this work, because there is some historical documentation of it. First up, get those drinks ready. It's Giorgio Vasari, that semi-credible rascal who's the granddaddy of artist biographers. Vasari noted in his bio of Leo that, quote, Leonardo undertook to paint for Francesco del Giocondo the painting of Mona Lisa, his wife, unquote. And one of Leonardo's assistants, a man by the name of Salai, had a painting called La Gioconda listed as part of his estate after his 1524 death, which he inherited from Leonardo after Leonardo's death five years prior. There you have it. That's the backstory of Mona Lisa. It seems pretty watertight to me. But for a not insignificant part of the art world, there's always the question. Is this exact painting the one that was really known back in the Renaissance as Mona Lisa? Or was it another painting entirely? One of those works that exists in limbo today as one of those maybe Leonardo's? Or is it a work that has been lost completely? Maybe this painting has been misidentified all these years ago. If so, who would the sitter in this portrait be if not Lisa Gherardini? I have read many of these identifications. She's been said to be Isabella of Aragon, the Duchess of Milan. She's an even more famous Isabella, Isabella d'Este, the Marquise of Mantua, and a hugely important figure in both art and cultural history of Europe, who does have another unfinished chalk and pastel portrait by Leonardo to her name that is also in the Louvre. Some say that she is the same woman as in Leonardo's Lady with an Ermine, a noblewoman named Cecilia Gallerani. It's even been posited that Mona is based on the appearance of one of Leonardo's assistants and supposed lover. But, 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 one theory has captured our collective imaginings because it is so different, subversive even. Mona Lisa, some have posited is a portrait of Leonardo himself. Are you surprised that it has taken me this long to bring up the name Dan Brown? For those of you who are too young to have known the phenomenon of the Da Vinci Code, or perhaps have mercifully forgotten, no judgment though, because I totally blew through this book in 2003 too. Just know that this was a thriller by American author Dan Brown that involved a chase for the fabled Holy Grail and involved a lot of riddles and clues pertaining to art history. Especially, as you may surmise from the title, the works of Leonardo da Vinci. And I'll just put a little hint of my own out there that this will not be the last time this season that we are talking about either Leonardo or Dan Brown on the podcast. But part of the enduring interest in Dan Brown's book and in its association with the Renaissance master, is that Leonardo himself was fascinated with the workings of the human mind. Jason Rosenfeld, who is a professor of art history at Marymount Manhattan College, argues, quote, Leonardo was interested in symbols. He's interested in puzzles. He is interested in keeping things kind of hidden. And this idea about the picture sort of relates to that. 
that this is a picture that is part of the whole mythologizing of Leonardo as someone who is playing tricks, who is always a step ahead of a viewer, and someone who is making you think of his works in a very different way." Unquote. At gatherings, Leonardo would devise these little riddles, which he called prophecies, which he would then share with the various courts he served. It's an image of Leonardo as entertainer, and several of his prophecies still exist, like this one. Quote, Serpents of great lengths will be seen at a great height in the air, fighting with birds. Unquote. Leonardo wrote the answer right next to this riddle. It is, and I'm quoting again, of snakes carried by storks. Unquote. I've never said that these prophecies have translated well to a modern audience, but there you go. Leonardo was witty, a little bit of a prankster, and he liked jokes and riddles. All of this does make some wonder. What is cleverer than obscuring your own identity and making everyone think that you actually painted a woman instead of yourself? What do we want to make of this idea of Leonardo S. Prankster doing a gender performance as Mona Lisa, whoever that is? It's really interesting, and we will get into it when we come back from this short break. Thank you to Storyblocks for sponsoring today's episode. Have you ever had to make a professional video? Making a compelling video story can be expensive and time-consuming. But Storyblocks is now here to make it easier on you, the creator, than ever before, allowing you to keep up with growing demands for video content without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks is the first unlimited download subscription-based provider of stock video and audio, with over 100,000 customers in the television and video production industry, from NBC to MTV to hobbyists looking to enhance their video projects and productions. All their assets, from video clips, music, stock images, sound effects, and more, are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for both commercial and personal use. Plus, their library is being constantly updated to give you the best options to bring your story to life. I recommend trying out their unlimited all-access plan that gives you unlimited downloads of more than 1 million assets in their library, so you can try out multiple options quickly and find the perfect fit so you can create more and spend less without sacrificing quality, which is something that's important to me as I expand the reach of Art Curious and what I, as a creator, can do. So I want you to try them out now. To learn more, please visit storyblocks.com slash artcurious. Join today at storyblocks.com slash artcurious. This episode of Art Curious is brought to you by BetterHelp. There have truly been times in my life where I've needed some assistance to figure out what I wanted from life and how to find the happiness I deserved. And that's why I turned to BetterHelp. And BetterHelp is here to help you too. With BetterHelp, a professional can assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist with whom you can begin communicating in less than 48 hours. And it is so convenient because you can connect from wherever you are in a safe and private online environment, and you can message, call, or video chat with your therapist, all instead of commuting somewhere and sitting uncomfortably in a waiting room. And BetterHelp also makes it easy to find the right therapist for you. 
Whether you're looking for help with depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, LGBT matters, self-esteem, or anything, and you don't have to limit yourself to someone who works near your home. Believe me, I've used BetterHelp and it is so easy. And I loved my counselor I connected with. And even if I didn't, it would have been so easy and free to change counselors if I wanted. It's confidential, convenient, professional, and affordable. And financial aid is available. BetterHelp is not a crisis line or a self-help line. It is professional counseling done securely. And check this out. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. As an Art Curious listener, you're important to me. And so I want you to start living a happier life today. By visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp, you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling by visiting betterhelp.com slash artcurious. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's at betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash artcurious. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Art Curious. This idea that a jokester Leonardo disguised himself as a sallow, eyebrowless lady and then painted his own portrait is an idea that's been floating around for a while. But it really caught fire again beginning in 2010 with the publication of Leonardo's Hidden Face, a book co-written by artist Lillian F. Schwartz, writer Renzo Manetti, and art critic and Leonardo scholar Alessandro Vesozzi. In this book, the authors posited the idea based on Lillian Schwartz's own modelings of the Mona Lisa, something that had intrigued her for decades. In 1984, she scaled and bisected a purported Leonardo self-portrait called Portrait of a Man in Red Chalk and juxtaposed it right next to the Mona Lisa. The combined image shows the similarities between the eyes, forehead, nose, and mouths of the figures in both works. Thirty years later, with the combined use of computer programs, x-rays, anatomical analyses, and more, the authors have updated Schwartz's original lo-fi experiment and found compelling similarities between the so-called Leonardo self-portrait drawing and Mona Lisa. Most intriguing, that the figures appear to have the same supraorbital ridge, or eyebrow ridge, which is associated anatomically most frequently with men. I know, I know. It's not super convincing to me, but it has been convincing to others. The team behind Mona Lisa's hidden face wants to make it clear, though, that it is entirely possible that Mona began as a true portrait, though not of Lisa Gherardini, they say, but Isabella of Aragon. Perhaps Leonardo then opted to fuse his own facial features with the original image. To be fair, this wouldn't exactly be revolutionary, because artists do use and reuse canvases and panels and even paper all the time. And some scientists, like Pascal Cotte, have indeed uncovered some very interesting underdrawings, including, perhaps, another face on the panel itself that was uncovered using multispectral analysis, as was reported just last year in the Journal of Cultural Heritage. I'm linking to that on the blog on the website. 
but whether or not that face actually belongs to Leonardo is still up for grabs. All of this brings us back to that story at the top of the episode. 2010, that same year that Leonardo's hidden face was published, that group of Italian scientists and historians petitioned to open the supposed grave of Leonardo, located in a chapel at the Chateau d'Amboise in France's Loire Valley. And one of the reasons to open the grave was to explore the bones interred there and reconstruct the artist's face to see if it matches up in any way with Mona Lisa. It seems far-fetched, but this team of Italian scientists performed a similar reconstruction in 2009 when they came up with a computerized model of the face of the great poet Dante Alighieri, again based on this cranial mapping. But with Leonardo, it has proved trickier since he was buried in another country. And from most of my research, it doesn't exactly look like permission to exhume the supposed Leonardo remains was granted. Whoever is buried at Amboise is still buried there, though it must be noted that a little plaque nearby writes that it is indeed the purported, not 100% confirmed, remains of the artist. It doesn't appear that Leonardo has been exhumed quite yet, but people are still out there working on it. Who has been exhumed, though, is potentially someone with a link to Lisa Garadini. In 2013, another team of researchers opened the family tomb of the Giocondo family with hopes of identifying not Lisa Garardini herself, but her son. The hope was to use her son's DNA to match up with Lisa Garardini's supposed remains, which had been found in a Florentine convent where Lisa had died in 1542. After that, the scientists hoped to do that similar cranial mapping to create a visualization of Lisa's face that could then be compared to that of the Mona Lisa. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, as the supposed remains of Lisa Garadini were deemed too degraded to perform any DNA testing. And then, to make matters worse, it was discovered that no skull was located in Garadini's tomb, which ultimately ruled out all hope of facial reconstruction. So the final verification of the supposed true identity of Mona Lisa still remains. Overall, though, Mona, who she really is, if she is really anyone at all, or an amalgam, or a symbol, or the portrayal of an artist himself, is one of many, many mysteries surrounding this particular work of art. It's an important piece, a famous piece. So everyone has a thought about it. Alessandro Vizzosi, who was one of the authors of Leonardo's Hidden Face, has revealed as much when he noted that the Mona Lisa is, quote, like a mirror. Everyone starts from his own hypothesis or obsession and tries to find it there, unquote. And it's not that hard to do when the work of art is over 500 years old and there are gaps in its provenance and no 100% confirmation of the sitter's identity from Leonardo himself. But I've mentioned it before and I'll mention it again. It is a bit strange that Leonardo kept this painting for himself for his whole life. If it was indeed a commission, it's strange that it didn't end up with the commissioning party. If it did come from Lisa Garadini and the Giocondo family, which I still think is the likeliest case, why did Leonardo hold on to it for so long? Did the Giocondo family reject it? 
Was Leonardo so unhappy with its design that he kept tinkering with it for his own purposes? Suddenly, things make just a tiny bit more sense if we think that Leonardo kept it because it somehow bore his own portrait. That jokester in disguise, hiding in plain sight. And to be fair, some have referenced that the surname Giocondo is actually an adjective, meaning jocular, joyous, carefree in Italian. Leonardo was known to make many visual and grammatical puns. His Ginevra de Benci is a prime example, with Ginevra bearing a resemblance to the Italian word ginepro, meaning juniper, so he showcases Ginevra flanked with juniper. No one perhaps was more jocund, more interested in these jokes and connections and riddles, than Leonardo himself. So perhaps he was really la gioconda in this case. As always, I am skeptical. But one thing that truly makes sense to me is that I think I've got a good sense now as to why Mona Lisa may have that incredible enigmatic smile. She's amused, perhaps, after half a millennium, that we are still trying to figure out who she truly is. Coming up next time on Art Curious, it's another big, big name of the Renaissance, known to be a surly do-it-yourself type. But did he really do one of his biggest projects all by himself? We are separating fact and fiction this season, and this episode is coming up in two weeks. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with huge thanks to Mary Manfredi for her awesome research and writing help with this episode. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Our podcast services are provided by our friends at Kabunki. Subscribe now to their new show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies, hosted by Josh Dassel. And visit subgenrepodcast.com for more details. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means that you can donate tax-free to Art Curious to show your support. To find the donation links and for more details about our show, please visit artcuriouspodcast.com. We are also on all the socials at Art Curious Pod. And don't forget, we have merch. So check out our link to our Tee Public store in the show notes for this episode. Check back in two weeks as we explore the facts and the fictions of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in art history. Music